thing with uh, having a power outage when everything is uh, hue is that uh, when the power comes back on, the lights are all on. Because they're, the switch itself would be in the on position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the the LifeX bulbs are the same way. What's weird is that um, within the new Hue update, there's supposed to be something where when the power is restored, it's supposed to remember the previous position. Mm. But uh, this didn't seem to work out this time. Maybe it was maybe it had something to do with the hub remembering the status. But uh, yeah, when the power ended up kicking back on at six thirty in the morning. The whole house lit up like a Christmas tree. Nice. Welcome to ALH. Uh, I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about today. Probably some Tesla and Apple. Um, But first, I guess I can do an update of the product over time since it will be about a month if when this gets released from the previous one. So I actually have been using the USB Autoscope uh, since I used it last, uh, just because it is, it is so incredibly interesting to look inside my ears. Um, but also like if I go and something might be even bothering me a little bit, bit I'll go, Oh, I, I'll go and look in there just, just to see. So you've only been using this on yourself. You haven't been using this on anybody else. No, I haven't been using it on anyone other side from me, but I have been using it on me fairly regularly. And it has like this little, um, scooping tool also so scooping tool yeah like a little a little spoon like thing at the very end it's very tiny um Mm -hmm. that can sort of scrape stuff out and so i did use that once as well so just for like earwax yes you know this is uh this is rather amazing that between the two product overtime things that uh this went completely opposite of what I was expecting here. <laughs> this is the whole point of product over time to get these sorts of insights. Y- you would figure that the vector is a toy that you would end up using, you know, every now and then over time. And the autoscope is something you would use in a blue moon. But here you are not using the vector at all and using the autoscope on a semi-regular basis. Yeah. That's that's how life works. Were you one of those kids that uh, played with the box when your parents bought you a gift? Uh, I don't think so. I did read the instructions. Like, <laughs> I I remember when I would get like a new toy since I couldn't bring the toy or the video game or whatever with me to school. I would bring the instructions for it to school. Um, I don't remember doing that so much with toys. I remember doing that with video game manuals, which, um, that's not really some, that's not really a thing anymore. No. Oh, there was uh, a recent Nintendo release where completing the game requires something from the manual it was like S- Star Tropics. Completing the game requires something from the manual. And they did a re-release on the Switch recently, which does not have manuals. So you can't oh. actually beat the game as it's delivered. <laughs> uh, I mean, I remember for the virtual console that when you bought a game on the virtual console, you I think there was a manual that came with yes, each game. Yes, but the Switch versions don't have that. Oh, man. So I guess <laughs> someone is just going to have to look on and line in a fact or something. How big was the Star Tropics manual? Was it pretty big? I have no idea. I've never actually read that manual. Because uh, I remember with Final Fantasy 1, the manual that came with it was something like 70 plus pages. Yeah, there are some games that had a good amount of uh, stuff in there. And then there's some that used it as sort of their copy protection, stuff like that. Um, were there any other games? I mean, besides like PC games... I knew they had, uh, I remember Warcraft 1 had it where in order to start the game, you had to uh, go to, you know, page 8, line 2, and put in the word that's there. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think any Nintendo games were like that. No. Uh, As far as I'm aware, Star Tropics is the only thing that requires Mm -hmm. a manual. I had Tanya try playing through Final Fantasy 1 on uh, iOS, and uh, she ended up being lost after a certain amount of time. And it made me realize that um, when you play Final Fantasy 1, that a big 
part of it is reliant on you using the manual to kind of guide you through. Because, I mean, the whole 70, 80 pages, a good part of it is guiding you through basically up to the point of getting the airship. Yeah, people used a paper tutorial instead of mm-hmm. a in-game tutorial back then. Yeah, like I think in a lot of ways that uh, games have changed. Like mm-hmm. even from even from the days of you know the '90s, like uh, '90s PC gaming, I feel like a lot of new games have a whole bunch of uh, tutorials to even you know get you to start. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be able to find this, but uh, somebody did a parody where um, they're playing through. I think it was Quake One. And uh, if Quake 1 had tutorials the way that uh, modern games had, and it's just you start the game and then pretty much there's a big pop-up screen right away that's like, oh, in order to look around, move your mouse. Mm -hmm. In order to jump, press space. Yep, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Though modern games usually don't, aren't usually quite that heavy-handed. Usually they'll try and work it into the actual gameplay nowadays and sort Mm -hmm. of like, you don't have any sort of abilities yet kind of restrictions so you're forced to go and press whatever spacebar to jump when you get to an obstacle that you're required to go over and it just has a little a little notification when you get there see when you say that i'm reminded of metroid prime like that's actually a perfect example well that's one where you get all the abilities and then they take them all the way and then they give them (laughs) back slowly over time Well, we ended up talking about uh, Nintendo. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we might as well move to the video game section then. Right. (laughs) All right. So keeping with the video game theme um, and and also keeping with, let's say, the old games theme that require a giant manual, um, even though I don't even know if there is a manual. Uh, I know there's a wiki for Mm -hmm. Dwarf Fortress. Dwarf Fortress is getting a Steam release. Have you played Dwarf Fortress? I have not. Have you read about Dwarf Fortress? Not much. Do you know what the Dwarf Fortress is? Tell me more. <laughs> so Dwarf Fortress, you've played NetHack, right? Yeah, very, very little. Okay, so sort of like NetHack, it's a very old game that's been in constant development for like, well, I guess this one's not as old as NetHack. This one's been in development since the, what, the early 2000s or something uh, and been around since then and like NetHack it's originally done with like ASCII as your graphics and it is an incredibly incredibly deep game. Uh, The idea is that you have a bunch of dwarfs and you try and make a fortress that and survive as long as possible because eventually you'll get killed. Uh, and also try and mine in the mountain, stuff like that. And so the dwarfs that you control, you don't really control them. They're more semi-autonomous, so you can give them jobs. But depending on how they're feeling, they may or may not actually do them. Things are modeled like with really crazy detail, including like things like internal organs, like having specific functions. What? Internal organs having specific functions? Yes. So okay. you can damage things down to the organ in <laughs> in your dwarves um and they might get they each have their own wants and needs like maybe they and, and so <laughs> like you can a dwarf can get pregnant and then if they get too much trauma they might miscarry and this miscarriage might make the depressed dwarf depressed and then act erratically or commit suicide oh my god wow <laughs> yeah so some of the bugs might give sort of an illustration of like just how detailed these systems are. There's a bug where th- there's bars in the game and uh, there's uh, in the bars sometimes alcohol spills on the ground. And so sometimes cats wander into bars. And so there's a bug where cats were walking into bars. They would get alcohol on their fur. Then because they're cats, they self-clean by licking their fur which got them drunk and eventually died from alcohol poisoning. <laughs> oh my god, wow. And then there were other bugs, originally dwarven greed, the the dwarves were not they were not deterred by fire for being greedy about stuff. So one of the dwarves would catch fire, die, and his friend would see him 
and with his fl- with the flaming uh, clothes still flaming, and think, "Hey, free stuff! Go get the flaming <laughs> clothes, catch fire, and die, and repeat until all of the dwarves die of their own stupidity." So, uh, when you're when you're talking about greed, is that a specific stat for each dwarf? Like, can you have some dwarfs, dwarfs that are greedier and some dwarfs that are more uh, altruistic? Uh, I believe so, yes. Um, but there's more. Um, it used to be that the only way that the dwarfs could die from fire is if their body fat was ignited. So some players would try and do things to get rid of their body fat. So <laughs> they would do stuff like stand near burning trees or bathe in uh, boiling water until the dwarves had no fat left in their body. And then, since there is no way to ignite the non-existent fat, the dwarves were capable of uh, wearing flaming clothing or swimming in magma, etc. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, what kind of things do the dwarves fight against? I know that there's elephants that uh, would kill the dwarves a lot. There's also mm-hmm. were creatures. I don't remember exactly, but someone was talking about like how they recently played Dwarf Fortress and they got invaded by like some sort of were zombie thing. So they fought it and they lost a couple of their dwarves and then they finally won and they went to go and bury the dead. And as they're outside burying the dead, uh, a full mo- moon occurred and they hadn't realized it, but a couple of their dwarves had been bitten or scratched or something <laughs> by one of these were objects and then they turned into them. And then started killing their other dwarves. Are the enemies themselves flammable? Probably, yeah. Because I was thinking about uh, that, um, how you're saying about getting your dwarves down to 0% body fat. Lighting them on fire and having them run into their enemies. That probably worked before they patched the body fat issue, yes. (laughs) Wow. So I think that much like EVE Online... Dwarf Fortress is one of those games that's way more fun to read about than to actually play. It's incredibly deep, but it's very daunting. It reminds me of hearing about Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and all of the kind of weird freak scenarios that end up coming up as a result of the nuance. Yes, yes. Uh, except that in this case, you don't need a dungeon master to get you into really crazy situations. And I mean... uh also with uh, all these kind of funny bugs mm-hmm. like um i'm reminded of a uh, what was it goat simulator where uh, when goat simulator was first out they ended up taking bugs and pretty much making it somehow be a feature of the game <laughs> goat simulator was sort of a troll game in the first place so mm-hmm. that and the uh, civilization gandhi bug oh yeah i remember like he really likes nukes yeah i remember yeah that uh, Gandhi was supposed to be um, peaceful as possible, but due to an integer underflow issue, he ended up becoming really, really aggressive. Right. Well, most of the time he'd be peaceful, except for when he decided to nuke everyone or whatever. I don't know if future versions kept that in. Uh, actually, yeah, they they ended up keeping in the Gandhi likes nukes thing, I think. <laughs> yeah, when a bug becomes a feature. So anyway... Dwarf Fortress is uh, has been like in development for what the last fourteen years, and they've supported it via Patreon since then. But they've decided that they need more money for health insurance, and so they're doing an actual Steam release. That and they're also adding actual graphics to it. Health insurance. They should have just gone down to zero percent body fat. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> they're trying to design a game so uh detailed that they can just put themselves inside it so it's getting a steam release is it uh windows only or is there going to be a mac port as well yeah there's mac linux and windows versions nice i don't know if i'll be getting this or if i will rely on you getting this and hearing about all the crazy things that end up happening so i guess there's like a famous dwarf fortress story that you can read online that um where they started the game and then each player would play for one year of game time before handing off the save file to the next person. And then they would each have to write up what happened in their game for each year. Uh, GDC, I think, is going on right now, right? Um, 
And one of the things that Oculus decided to announce, or maybe it was the Beat Games group, is that uh, it's confirmed that Beat Saber is coming for the Oculus Quest. I'm wondering what kind of uh, limitations there would be due to the difference in hardware. Based off of the videos that I've seen, um, including John Carmack live streaming one of his sessions, it looks pretty much just like the or the uh, the PC Beat Saber. Right now, Carmack is like third on one of the leaderboards. He was talking about how he's been using it for testing the motion for the tracking and whatnot. And so he goes and does around like every time they're doing some changes. Uh, when's the quest supposed to come out again? Spring, so soon. I really wish they had put better hardware in there. Yeah, me too. The climb looks better than I would have expected it to look, though I think I'd still prefer playing it on the rift beat saber i think that i would switch to playing on the quest though same with super hot oh just because it doesn't have wires Mm -hmm. it'll also be much better for my kids playing because i don't need to set up a bunch of stuff before they play or turn on the computer and make sure all the calibration is right i think we've talked about this before but uh what would it take for something like uh, an Oculus Rift to be wireless. I don't mean self-contained, but uh, just have it where the processing is done on the computer and then there's a wireless connection between the headset. So it would take basically some low latency wireless hardware, which is Mm. perfectly doable. I mean, it's done on the Vive Pro. um, And people say that the wireless Vive Pro works pretty well. You climbed half dome. Yep. But not up the vertical face, like uh, the Alex Hannond guy did. And that's not what the movie Free Solo was about, but he also did that one first. Uh, he's the only one I think that's free soloed uh, Half Dome, and he's the only one that's free soloed El Capitan. Did you watch uh, that movie, Free Solo? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, movie most likely to uh, make your hands sweat while watching it. Oh, I, I believe it. What he did a TED talk a, a little while ago, and he t- was mm-hmm. talking about like his uh, ascent of El Capitan, and he mentioned that like a while back he was the first person to free solo Half Dome, but he did it sort of haphazardly, and he didn't want and he wanted the one for El Capitan to be like an actual good planned attempt, uh, and not just sort of making it up out of luck like he feels like uh, his uh, Half Dome ascent was. He was talking about like how he got up on that one uh, and there was like nobody there or anything like that. And so he took off his shoes and like started walking down. And so someone on the way up passed him and he's like, and the person that passed him was like walking up with no shoes, hardcore. (laughs) When we did our half dome trip that there was a guy, we were on the cables waiting to go down, and there's this random Russian guy just walking up there on the side with his shoes off. And I'm kind of looking at this going, yeah, that's uh, that's the most Russian thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's just unfathomable to me. Yeah. Climbing Half Dome free solo. like It's, it's a pretty intense movie. I, I mean, even climbing with gear mm-hmm. is just, you know, that's, uh, I can't imagine that. Uh, anyway, it, it's pretty interesting. I'd recommend I'd recommend seeing it. I had started playing a game called uh, Baba Is You, and did you happen to look at the trailer for that? Uh, I can I can look now. Yeah, why don't you don't, go look at the trailer? For Baba's You, the concept is that uh, it's a game about changing the way the rules for things work. So. The rules for each level are basically in each level. Uh, So one of the rules would be Baba is you. And so there's a little character on the screen called Baba. And you control that guy when the rule is in place that says Baba is you. But you could go and say change. You, You can push around blocks in this game. And some of the blocks are rules so there's the, the the nouns that you assign things. So if you could do uh, instead, rock is you, and then you turn into a rock, or wall is you, and you can turn you would turn into like all of the walls in the level, and you can so you can shift around like maybe an entire castle, 
or you can transform one object into another object by saying rock is baba uh, and then all <laughs> the rocks turn into babas so i thought it would be a good thing to have uh, my kids try playing and so uh, i i got a copy and i had to help my daughter but my son was pretty much able to play it and is uh fun to watch them figure out like transforming the rules and i think i think it's a good a good like life lesson if the rules aren't working for you try to change the rules yeah and uh in the trailer i liked some of the things like uh like uh water is float mm-hmm. so you can walk across the water right and it, it gets pretty difficult fairly quickly so i don't know how lo- long my son will actually be able to play it for um I'm about 30-ish levels in, and it is, it's quite, quite difficult at this point. And I'm thinking um, it might, at this point, it might be best to start seeing if I can, like, play it at the same time as, uh, like, a couch co-op kind of thing with a, a friend. When you say couch co-op, uh, it isn't actually, it doesn't actually have a two-player mode. It's just uh, somebody sitting next to you. No, no, no. It's just, like, pe- yeah, someone playing next to you to, like try stuff or think about trying stuff stuff that you can try i mean it it looks neat uh how many levels are there total or it doesn't say i don't know i'm i would guess probably more than 100 so you're only 30 in and it's already getting really difficult Mm -hmm. Uh, i know someone else that was about 10 or 15 in and i guess they had started taking about more than 10 minutes per level um, I haven't, it, it took me a little bit longer before that was the case with me, but, um, just because I was able to find some similarities probably between some of the levels. And so I was able to figure out similar solutions for some of them. Oh, so it's kind of, it's like a lot of games that, uh, borrow on a previous mechanic. Yeah. A lot of times they have a mechanic and then they do a twist on it. And I think mm-hmm. one of the levels that I solved quickly, I think, the first time I solved it, uh, I actually solved it in the more difficult, tricky way. And so the second time, you're forced to do it in the tricky way, and I just did the exact same solution. And I mean, a lot of levels, there are multiple solutions, so you can figure out different rule combinations that allow you to actually complete it. So most of the levels have like a something is win. So usually it's the flag. Flag is win. So if you get to the flag, you win. You beat the level. Mm-hmm. And but you can change that rule too. So like uh <laughs> you can make lava is win or something. So when you touch the lava, you instead of dying, you've beat the level or whatever. Rock is win. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've I've used that one before. So they'll they'll go and make some rules effectively unchangeable by uh taking those rules and putting like a wall around them. And one of the rules is wall is stop that's inside the wall so you can't get inside the wall to change the rule for wall is stop um a lot of times they'll put rules uh near the edges of the screen to make it very difficult to change them or or you can only change them in certain ways uh by adding stuff to them so there's also like an and block so you can say like baba and rock is you and in that case you control both baba and the rock uh anyway i i think it's a really clever game and worth playing. I'm trying to even imagine uh, how one would write a game like that. Probably in the same w- similar way that you would try and write something like uh, a magic game, right? Because mm-hmm. the whole premise of like Magic the Gathering is like all the cards change the rules. Are you hard coding individual rules or individual permi- permutations of rules? Uh, no, I'm pretty sure that things like is has a particular definition that it's applying things like um move push or assigning properties and then i'm sure it goes through uh an iteration of like the current turn and because it's turn based it's not real time or anything though there is a a move uh property and so if you go like rock is move then every turn the rock will move one space in a particular direction until it hits something that will turn around and go in the opposite direction. The amusing thing there is um, if you go like, if you have Baba is you, and then you can, and then also have Baba is move, 
then every time you move, you'll hop over two squares instead of one. Oh, huh. And so I've found in one place where normally there's like a, like skull is defeat where, so if you touch it, you die. But in that case, like I could just hop over it because I'm moving two squares at a time. Um, but the annoying thing there is I have to make sure I'm aligned with whatever is inside there that I want to actually move around or else it just, or else my being able to hop over things doesn't help me. But the whole game is about finding sort of clever little situations where you can apply different roles. See, if I have time, this sounds interesting. I mean, each each level, especially in the beginning, doesn't take very long. So it, it'd be pretty easy to play it for like 10 minutes and get through maybe mm-hmm. five levels uh, to get a taste for it. Yeah, I find a lot of my gaming as of late is not sitting down for hours, but uh, sitting down for 10, 15 minutes at a time. Me as well. It's not linear, so you can go and pick among a number of different puzzles if you start getting stuck. And so right now I have like maybe eight different levels that I can pick from. Uh, Until I got to where I was, it was a good game for me to pop into for about five minutes and solve a puzzle and then leave. So um, Apple gave us new iPads. They gave us a new iPad Air and a new iPad Mini. And uh, the main thing about uh, both of these is that they use the um, A12 chip. So uh, pretty much similar to the um, XS. Unlike the uh, iPad Pros, the iPad Pros end up using the A12X. So they're they're closer to iPhones, but still more powerful than pretty much any other Android tablet, right? Right. So the new iPad Mini starts at three ninety nine, and the new iPad Air starts at four ninety nine. Yeah, so now they have a nice continuous price range, I guess, for their mm-hmm. iPads. Yeah, the iPad Air is going back to the price point of the original iPad. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, looking at these, the uh, by the way, also the uh, iPad Air and the iPad Mini both have Touch ID. Right. So they are not edge-to-edge the same way the iPad Pros are. It, it basically is what you would expect of an iPad at this point. It's a... Uh, it's just a refreshed iPad. Yeah. So the most interesting thing to me and also annoying is that the new iPads, the Air and the Mini, while they support the Apple Pencil, they only support the old Apple Pencil. I I really wish that they just waited a little bit so everything can support the same pencil. Well, I understand why they did it. Because realistically, the Apple Pencil isn't going to be used by everybody. If you're going to support a pencil, why not use the one that can be magnetically attached and not get lost? I saw a tweet that was basically saying, it uh, with the, the, the chart on which, which ma- uh, iPads work with which pencil, saying, it just works. Quoting uh, during Fireball. If Apple had wanted the new Pencil 2 to work on all new iPads, they would have had to put a lightning plug on the new Pencil in addition to supporting conductive charging and pairing. But that's really not how Apple rolls. They would have had to have ruined one of the things that makes the new Pencil so much nicer than the old Pencil. Better to have a messy product lineup where some new iPads only support the new Pencil and others only support the old Pencil than to have a messy new Pencil. Well, they would have only had to do that because the of the magnetic, the inductive charging, right? Like, so if they added the inductive charging to the new iPads, they would still have been able to use the new pencil. Correct, but that was uh, that was the main compromise there, as they didn't want to add the inductive charging and whatnot for pricing reasons. Mm. Which, I mean, it's annoying, but I'll give them a pass on that. I won't. <laughs> the uh, the pencil, I mean, I feel like a whole lot of the pencil use is targeted at pros. And at least when it comes to the pencil 2, especially since the pencil 2 is more expensive. Yeah. With these iPads, the cheaper iPads, it also works with the Logitech Crayon. I think what they're looking at here is that if you're willing to drop a grand on an iPad Pro, you're more willing to drop, you know, the $200 or whatnot on the uh, Apple Pencil 2. 
as opposed to somebody who is spending 400 or $500 for one of these iPads. Are they going to turn around and spend $200 for a pencil for the, uh, the pencil two? It still seems sort of consumer hostile to me. P- regular people don't want to have to figure out which pencil they need to buy. Having uh, iPads that are a grand to $1,800 is also kind of uh, consumer hostile. It's not pro-user hostile, but uh, consumer hostile. Yeah, I mm. think so. Well, these iPads are things that I will not buy. So, <laughs> Another interesting thing about the iPad Air is that it is slightly bigger than um, the 9.7-inch iPad. I mean, is it the same? Is it the same size as like the 10-inch iPad Pro, like in physical size? So the 10.5-inch iPad Pro is 9.8 by 6.8. So yeah, it's the exact same size as the old 10.5-inch iPad Pro. Suspicious. Even the depth is the same. So Apple had a bunch of cases laying around and <laughs> and ended up putting new hardware in there. But I mean, that's honestly, that's not bad, all things considering. How much was the 10.5-inch iPad Pro? It was more than $500. So, I mean, you are getting a uh, nicer experience for $500 than you were before. Mm-hmm. But you are still not getting the iPad Pro Apple Pencil 2 mm-hmm. dropping $1,000 experience. Mm-hmm. That is beneficial to Apple. You know, they uh, they need to carefully craft each of their product lines in order to have a justification for each of them. And I mean, I could see in a year or two, eventually the Apple Pencil 2 will be available to all of these other iPads. And then there will be an Apple Pencil 3 yep. <laughs> that will be available for the uh, $1,000 or $1,500 or $2,000 iPad. Remember when you could say, hey, I got an iPad and someone would know exactly what you meant. When products become successful, they're there end up being, you know, three to five or 10 different product lines. I mean, look at Samsung and how many galaxies there are. Yes, but uh, part of the Apple way was like reducing these this number. This is not the Tim Apple way of doing things. <laughs> there, there are more ways that you can configure your Apple products than you can configure Tesla's. <sighs> not wrong. Not wrong. But then Elon is more of a Steve type. He he has this cult following, so so the other Apple product that was announced or released today is a new IMAX, and it looks like well, Apple is saying a two times performance boost, but that's optimal case. Um, mostly, it, and and a lot of it has to do with what they hadn't updated the IMAX in what two years almost. Yeah, it had been. Almost two years since they had updated the regular iMacs, not the iMac Pros. And so, of course, they're going to get a large speed boost. CPU-wise, it's about 40%, but uh, it looks like, uh, unlike before, they're they're putting some higher-end GPUs in it, um, the Vega line of GPUs. How does that compare to the uh, iMac Pro? So the iMac Pro, you can either get a Vega 56 with 8 gig of memory, a Vega 64 with 16 gig of memory or a Vega 64X with 16 gig of memory, where on the original iMac, you can get up to a Vega 48 with 8 gig of memory. From how this seems, they made it where the top of the line iMac is still slightly less than the iMac Pro. I mean, what I find interesting about all this is that uh, if you end up maxing out your uh this new iMac it ends up coming to 5249 so it is so it's around the starting point of the iMac Pro Mm -hmm. so they're kind of they're trying to be clever here where um you know if you want a two thousand dollar iMac you can get one and you can build it all the way up to you know around five thousand and anything more than that you have your iMac Pro which will go up to something like 17 18 grand uh and then they're not doing away with spinning disks in this iMac. Um, and so people are suspecting that's the reason why the T2 chip is also not there. Is it might not work with spinning disks. But yeah, they still have the fusion drive. And for anyone listening, I would I would highly recommend that you go to the SSD and not get a fusion drive. I have a fusion drive in iMac, my iMac, and 
it has caused some annoying problems. Um, I have a 2014, I think it is, 5K iMac. Yep, that's what I have. Aside from the spinning disc part of it, I do actually still like it quite a bit, but that part is annoying. It has caused like annoying, like even reformatting the stupid thing is tricky. Uh, if you are trying to like figure out if it's a actual disk failure or some sort of corruption issue um, because of the way that the, the disks are handled. Uh, doing a reformatting requires you like separating it out and then recombining the the volumes and stuff like that. It's not obvious what you need to do. If you're doing something like dual boot, how does that work with Fusion? Um, that's fine because the partition, I think, is created beforehand and then it's resized for the Windows stuff and taken care of by the Mac. The problem is like when you want to go and reformat the drive because they're separate. And so when you're destroying the volumes, you need to do it in a particular way to handle both the spinning disk and the SSD and recombine them into a single logical volume. So uh, like you, I have a 2014, but uh, in my case, I actually have an SSD and there are zero issues with the machine. I don't think this new 2019 update warrants me getting a new computer yet, at least for um, the iMac. Are you going to wait for the Mac Pro? Uh, I wanted to see what happens with that. That uh, one of the things they were talking about was a 6K display, Mm. at least on, uh, what was it, 9 to 5 Mac. They were saying that there would be uh, potentially be a display that's similar to the 5K, but it would be slightly wider. I kind of like the aspect ratio of the the current 5K displays. I'm I'm not I'm one of those people that's not actually a huge fan of the widescreen displays when on a computer. Uh, on a TV, I think they're fairly nice, but I'm less of a fan for a computer. I mean, if uh, for me. I'm okay with it as long as there is sufficient vertical space, which on the 5K, there is absolutely enough vertical space. So if they ended up coming out, say in the future, they end up doing something like a 31 where um, 31 or 30 or whatever it ends up being, where the bezels on the display are slightly less on the left and right, I'd be fine with that Mm. because I would have enough vertical space it wouldn't be that much bigger of a display and uh, I would get slightly more horizontal space. Mm-hmm. So with slightly more horizontal space, I can have, you know, whatever kind of app that ends up docking on the, either the left or right hand side of the screen and have no uh, penalty. Yeah. I still like the, I still like the 5k aspect ratio, I guess 8k same aspect ratio as the 5k would be nice something where it's like a super retina kind of like the phones where the ass where the assets are 3x instead of 2x it'd be really nice but i don't see that happening for a long time both the imac and the ipads they're just kind of uh, standard releases now the fact that they came out via press release and not part of the uh the keynote i find pretty interesting the Model Y was announced. The announcement was mostly history lesson and a tiny bit Model Y. Basically, Elon went through the entire history of Tesla and introduced each of the cars in turn in the order that they were produced and then finally introduced the Model Y. Like It took like the majority of the time to get to the Model Y and then he spent like five minutes on the Model Y and then it ended. So I had another friend watch the keynote and uh, as we're driving home, Mm -hmm. the uh, keynote was wrapping up. He ends up calling me and he's like, how do people like Elon Musk so much? Oh yeah. He's a horrible presenter. That was a terrible presentation. Like, and I don't understand, like people seem to think that like he has some sort of magical presentation uh, stage presence but he really doesn't he's like a he's Mm -mm. a really bad presenter if you compare him to like any apple presenter he's just really really i don't think he rehearses (laughs) i i don't think he rehearses that much and also i think i've seen him live twice and uh my buddy and i wondered if he was drunk if he gets slightly drunk before going out on stage i don't think so that's just the way he like talks normally i think but I get it in that he's, you know, that uh, you look at um, my friend was trying to compare the Tesla keynote to like an Apple keynote. 
And I said, don't compare other keynotes to Apple keynotes because Apple keynotes are actually well prepared. The difference is like, you know, you look at people like, uh, you know, Tim Cook and Steve Jobs, they're not, they're not nerds. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, you know, they're people with uh, business, you know, business and sales backgrounds that ended up going into tech and present. Whereas Elon Musk is a bona fide engineering nerd. Yeah. Who ended up, you know, who ended up becoming a CEO of a company. Right. So I, I, I end up giving him that allowance that, okay, this is a different kind of person who's presenting. But he's such a control freak that he needs to do the presentations himself. <laughs> well, it's also because, I mean, I think they do it in part because there is cult of personality around Elon Musk, the same way there was cult of personality around Steve Jobs. But it, it makes people like, if you go and read a lot of like Tesla comments, and whatnot, um, people are saying, oh, the only thing that Elon Musk is good at is self-promotion. But if you ever actually watch him do the self-promotion, you realize, <laughs> no, he is really horrible at self-promotion. <laughs> he, he is so bad that it ends up being endearing. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. It's different. I, I think it's okay to say that, you know, Tesla is a company is mostly awesome. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and, you know, Elon is a, as a captain of industry is mostly good. It's just, he's not perfect. This is one of the things that he's not as good at. Yeah. And of, and of course the presentation started late because everything with Tesla starts late. Oh yeah. I think it started like 20 minutes late this time, like after eight, like, and they didn't (sighs) even have the stream up until like 15 or something. And I and I noticed that it, like they they secretly used like YouTube streaming to do it uh, because like I'm like oh what's this little YouTube icon I click it and it goes directly to the YouTube hidden <laughs> URL. So uh, let me ask you: Did you have to sign up for anything in order to even see the stream? Yes, you're, if you go to the Tesla page, you just needed to go and add your name to the <sighs> thing. But if you had the oh, hidden God. YouTube URL, you could go directly there. Oh God, that's so annoying. Yeah, I decided since I was out that I was not going to go through the process of signing up and then going through a stream that may or may not work. And ultimately, for what? Let's talk about the Model Y. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're also not talking about the Model Y, are we? Yeah. (laughs) So the Model Y, it's like if the Model X and the Model 3 had a baby. It is a uh, bean-boozled jelly bean. I think the biggest problem with the Model Y for me is the name. The Model Y should have been like the Model 3X. They should have called it some some variant of the 3 to denote that it is basically a 3 that is slightly changed in order to uh it's a it's a cro- it's a crossover version of the 3. See what I what I think about is like the BMW 3 series there is a uh, there's a GT, right? But the thing is like the Model X already is a minivan more than it's a SUV. So yeah, and what what's this like? I think of um, it's a mini minivan. The equivalent I would think of, besides you know a Prius. You're not going to fit seven people in a Prius, though. True, but the difference with the uh, the Model Three body is that the driver is a lot more forward mm-hmm. than on uh, other cars because of the fact that there isn't an engine in the front of the car. I didn't get to see uh, how comfortably, how small were these people who were fitting into this uh, Model Y. If you do watch the presentation, um, the Model Y is the only one where they have more than one person getting out of the car after they park it. And they have seven people get out of the car and they are all adults. Okay. So it might not be comfortable to sit in the third row, but it is possible for adults to sit in the third row. Uh, I mean, adult is such a loose term. I mean, adult, an adult could be somebody who's five foot two and 105 pounds, or an adult could be somebody who's, you know, six foot five and 400 pounds. Yeah, but realistically, if you're getting the seven seater, you probably want to put kids in the back anyway. That's true. Well, hey, that was, uh, that was part of the appeal for you is that uh, since they don't have the jump seats anymore. Yeah, the, and the Model Y is car-like enough that uh, it might be doable. Are you actually actively considering it? Mm. (laughs) 
Come on, embrace the jelly bean life. See what I what I'd rather what I'd rather have have happen is like have my my wife get one. So we have the seven seats covered, and then I can replace my Model S with another S or something with not seven seats, or a uh, ideally a Roadster. But I I don't know if I can swing that. So here's a question: Are the um, jump seats available as an aftermarket purchase? Maybe. Because if that is the case, just get a Model S and put jump seats in. And transfer my jump seats over. <laughs> if you can't, if that's possible. I would like to trade in my Model S, but I would like to remove my jump seats first. <laughs> but I was thinking if there were actual, you know, third party, third party jump seats that would actually fit into new Teslas. Before they offered the jump seats as a standard thing. Um, you could actually buy them and put them into the S aftermarket. Uh, so Tesla sold them as an aftermarket item. This may still be a thing, or if not Tesla, another company maybe? Maybe. It depends on if the mounting points are still there. Like there's YouTube channels where um, people go and actually install uh, the jump seats into older Model S's. Getting back to the Model Y... Is there anything else about it besides the fact that it can seat seven? No. And what I find also funny about the Model Y is uh, the uh, seating seven is not part of the standard Model Y. You have to pay extra for that. Yep. <laughs> it is actually possible to get a Model Y that only seats, what is it, five? That seats five where you are stuck with a Model Y for pretty much no, there's no reason to get a Model Y when you're seating five. Well, I guess the other reason is it's like a hatchback form factor. So it makes transporting stuff a lot easier. Okay. That's fair. It's just, it's so ugly. Yeah. And it has a, it has a power lift gate. I, I actually don't think it's that horrible. I, I, I actually think I prefer the way it looks to the, to, to the model X aside from the model X does have the cool doors. Oh, so yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't get to see this. That so they're normal doors. Yep, like the Model Three. They're basically <laughs> Model Three doors. That that's funny because uh, way back Elon was saying that the uh, Model Y was going to have the uh, what is it, the Gullwing doors originally? Yeah, but uh, I guess he said that other people at Tesla rein him back in from the what cliffs of insanity. I don't know. There's that, which I mean, I am not a fan of the uh, the doors that lift up like that oh i think the main the main thing about it why i'm not a fan is because of it's just so flashy that's actually my my biggest concern if i were to get a um roadster is actually is do i want to park this places i mean the main (laughs) the main appeal of the roadster for me isn't you know that it's flashy right it's it's the acceleration one is the acceleration and two is the range and the yeah. range is even the range is more important to me than the acceleration. Can't you make a Model S that goes 500 miles? They could, but they haven't done it yet. <laughs> the, it's it's kind of pathetic of me that if the Model S that was you know did 500 miles was 200 grand, I would be more actively considering it than the Roadster. Hmm. Because it is it is a car that looks like a Model S that you know unless you know it'd be it'd be even heavier than it is now. Well, yeah, it would be. So, I mean, part of the appeal to the Roadster and also the Model 3 is they are going to be lighter vehicles. How are they doing that? Are they making the body like carbon fiber? I really don't know. I it, I'm, I mean, they didn't also didn't announce a weight, so I'm not 100% sure it's lighter. <laughs> 6,000 pound Roadster. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> seem right, though. It seems like they're trying to yeah. do a lot with the handling, so... Um, mm-hmm. They're probably trying to do what they can to make it lighter. And even in the Model S, it's not like it's all battery pack. Um, I think 30-ish percent of the weight is the battery pack. So there's still a lot of car there that's not battery pack. Well, that may be one of the things that they're changing this summer, that uh, they may have been able to trim down weight on it. And then the other thing that they announced is Elon thinks that the full self-driving will be essentially feature complete by the end of this year. Which means three years from now. Yeah, I, I have my doubts. But he doesn't mean like you don't have to watch it. He means like it can perform 
all of the driving tasks necessary for like you getting from point A to point B, but you still have to monitor it and make sure it doesn't do something stupid. The thing that they say on the website is that it's going to uh, recognize stop signs and traffic lights. Right. And, and turn and stuff at them when you need to. So I have my doubts that will be usable enough to actually do that based off of how navigate on autopilot currently is. Or I mean, how uh, (laughs) that first release of autopilot. Yeah. I mean, that uh, that ended up almost uh, killing me a couple times. <laughs> it tried to get you go into directly into the median. Yes, because, uh, yeah, you're taking a freeway exit and it has no idea which way to go. So it's going center. Oh, look, the lane is getting wider. Let's go down the center. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was exactly what happened. Yeah, it it did. It, it, luckily, it doesn't do that anymore. But. I scared quite a few people. Intentionally? No, that was not intentional. That, that was me being stupid and falling into the, the lull of, well, it's autopilot. It's going to follow the road. <laughs> You're why we cannot have nice things. Well, I didn't die. There's that. Oh, what, what logic? Such sound rationalization. What do you think the odds are that there will actually be something at the end of the year? Uh, you mean that can do like turning and like basically so you can stick in something in a navigation and have it take you there with guided or being guided? Yeah. Yes. What What uh, are the what odds? 20%. That was exactly the odds I was going to give. 20%. I would say I put it at uh, the 50% point is probably going to be like April or May of next year. That seems about right to me. Overpromise, underdeliver. The Tesla way. I wish with the Model Y, it's just there's nothing. There was nothing. Yeah. I mean, besides the fact that it's uh, besides the seven seed, and you know, it's a different body shape, and that's it. Nothing to see. Move along. The rides that people got in it were basically like, "Yep, that's a Model Three, all right." <laughs> I mean, I, I understand, you know, going in a ride for the Roadster. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. It's something new. It's new and exciting and all that. Uh, Speaking of new, Elon Musk said that they dropped, that there was something that everybody missed. Oh, yeah. There was was a small teaser of the pickup truck, I believe. So you can kind of almost see the outline in like one freeze frame of the truck. That one actually does look different because it looks sort of a little bit angular. And I think that that's part of the reason that people were kind of disappointed with the Model Y is it looks more car shaped because normally with you have SUVs are more angular, but they didn't want to do that for aerodynamics. So, so I guess they're going to be announcing the truck next year or this year, end of this year. Maybe we'll see. Well, what I am hoping for here is I am hoping they announce the truck and then they make an SUV based off of the truck body. Yeah, that might be better. So Tesla Canyonero. With its 300 kilowatt battery, because that's what it needs. <laughs> well, I mean, I could. that's something that I could sell Tanya on. <laughs> Look, honey, it's electric just, and it just, goes five, 500 just, miles. Just get her a semi. But the semi, no, no, she hates the semi. Oh, because of enough seating? She, the semi only seats one person. She saw that. She's like, what the hell? Why would they do that? Because you have to figure for a semi, you know, for a semi, there's going to be long trips. You want somebody to trade off. Yeah. But I guess Tesla is thinking that the autopilot is going to be so prevalent that you're not going to need, uh, you're yeah. not going to need two people anymore. Yeah. They should just have an option where you can have um, like the, mo- like the, F- like the McLaren F1 where you stick two people to either side of them and behind them slightly. <laughs> kind of like almost like Star Trek in a way, except in reverse where, you know, on the enterprise, how there's, you know, Captain Picard sits in the center and then Riker's on one side mm-hmm. and then Troy for, some unimaginable reason is on the other side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in this way, you're going to have, you know, the, the driver in front and then two people kind of behind. Yeah. Okay. So 
Thank you for listening to ALH. You can visit us at ALH.FM and uh, follow us on Twitter. Elan Sand here. Talk to you next time. I've been trying to look for treadmills that do gym kits. Uh, what's gym Which, kit? You, you remember? Okay. Uh, so they announced this, I want to say it was la- either last year or the year before, okay. where it was going to be a feature for the watch where if you had a treadmill, you either had a treadmill or an elliptical, mm-hmm. it would pair with the watch. Okay. It would use it would use the NFC and the watch and it would pair, um, you know, pair between the devices so that the watch would know instead of getting an estimate of how far you're going on the treadmill, it would know exactly how far you're going on the treadmill. Okay. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm looking at this going, okay, this is awesome. You know, somebody, I'm using the treadmill for two to two and a half hours a day. Mm -hmm. Having something like this is actually something that I would, you know, consider. The thing is, I have not found anything within the realm of like a home treadmill that actually uses this. I found like uh, they partnered with Life Fitness. Okay. Which, you know, Life Fitness does um, gym equipment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go to a 24 hour, you know, the treadmills that are there end up being life fitness and the cheapest life fitness I found that actually supports gym kit is like eight to nine grand. That's a bit expensive for a treadmill. Yes. Yes. I've also found, I found treadmills up to 17 grand that support, you know, that supposedly support gym kit. Why are these really that much better treadmills? The nine grand one has... It has Hulu built in, Hulu, Netflix, Spotify. It's basically, Do they you know, also like subscribe uh, to you for you, or you still have to pay for that. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you would still have to pay for that. So I have Hulu and Netflix. So it's like, yeah, that'd be great. And you're watching it on a 20 inch. I think it's like a 20 inch display. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, the experience for it is actually seems decent. I don't. I don't think that's worth like an extra five grand though. Well, uh, the only thing for me would be the gym kit, mm-hmm. you know, is actually getting accurate, you know, 100% accurate workout readouts. Mm-hmm. There's no other way other than like gym kit for it to get information off of the treadmill. Uh, I haven't seen. Huh. I mean, that's, but that, that's the thing that gets me is that none of these, I think the uh, treadmill people are slow to introduce this. That's ironic. <laughs> right they want it on their premium premium products first and then it sounds like a market opportunity yeah you want to go design a treadmill <sighs> or even just license a treadmill license a treadmill and add the software for gym kit to it and yeah. sell it turn around and sell it for you know 2500 bucks i wonder what sort of protocol they already have i'm mean, because they already have like some stuff for transmitting data on some of the other lower end machines but it's just not gym kit right yeah just not gym kit so there's got to be a way to make a translation layer there maybe in the case of gym kit i don't know how public the actual apis for that are it might require a partnership contacting apple it would be interesting to have like you know how you have aftermarket carplay devices you could have aftermarket gym kit device I mean, it is entirely possible that uh, WWDC rolls around that there's some kind of renewed push. HomeKit took forever in order to get any kind of traction. I would argue that it still doesn't have very much traction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So who knows? There might be a renewed push for you know gym equipment. The sad thing is the fact that I am actually considering dropping <laughs> that kind of coin. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So... My, here's my rationale is that uh, I try and look at things in terms of how much I use them. Mm-hmm. So in the case of a bed, you know, we went and purchased the, what, the $12,000 bed. Okay. Because of the fact that, okay, you're spending, you know, six to eight hours a night in it. Mm-hmm. That's fair. In the case of a computer, I generally, for the most part, when I get a laptop, I try and max out the laptop mm-hmm. because I'm using it for my job. It's, right. uh, you know, I'm using it however many hours a day. For my car, if I'm willing to spend 130 grand on a car yeah. that I'm not really going to be using that much, the treadmill on average, when I am exercising and when I'm in a routine, I'm using it for, you know, a couple hours a day. Mm-hmm. And then in the case of my wife, you know, she's using it as well. Mm-hmm. 
So if it's getting anywhere between two to four hours a day use, I think it's uh, over time it ends up justifying itself. So do you normally like watch shows or listen to podcasts or what? So she watches shows, uh-huh. and I used to wa- I used to watch news up until the point of my workout starting to get hard. Oh, okay. now I'm listening. Now I'm listening to music. Okay, not podcasts. You need the extra motivation from the beat. <sighs> yeah, I mean, if I was when I was walking, you know, flat, mm-hmm. four miles an hour flat, it's like okay, I'll watch a show. At the point where you know, if my heart rate's getting up to you know one sixty, one sixty five. I mean, podcasts, podcasts sometimes get slow. Yeah. <laughs> As we're saying this on a podcast, that's... Uh, Listen to our podcast while you're working out. Just like speed it up or something. 